You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Yeadon. I'm the CEO and co-founder with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we have built some of the best-in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools. We have worked with life science companies from across the globe over the past 14 years to help them with everything from virtual advisory boards, online medical education, online investigator meetings, and since the launch of our award-winning Insight Events platform, we've also helped pharma companies with large corporate events, MSL and sales training, innovation hackathons, and everything in between. But more importantly at Impetus, we really believe that everything starts with a conversation. And from these big, hairy, audacious conversations with some of the leading edge thinkers, digital provocateurs, and healthcare thought leaders, we can all work together to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. So I'm super excited about having one of these healthcare thought leaders at the table with me today. This is actually Richard Houlihan. He's an international speaker on Udemed. And Udemed actually stands for European Data Bank for medical devices. His time running the IT teams developing Udemed in the European Commission has given him unrivaled insights into how Udemed affects the medtech industry. This Udemed experience and his 28 years in the IT area has given him a real super advantage when helping companies prepare for Udemed. So his company, Earmed, provides ongoing Udemed support, training, and software to help the medtech industry meet its Udemed obligations. And we're gonna kind of get into this and what this means and what this looks like. So to date, Richard and his team have trained over a thousand people on Udemed and helped hundreds of companies with their preparations and data submissions to Udemed. Welcome Richard, so happy to have you on the show today. Hey Natalie, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, super exciting. I mean. It's not one of these kind of things that somebody just sort of wakes up and says, one day I want to be working with Unimed, right? It's very interested to find out a little bit about your career trajectory and how you actually ever landed in this entrepreneurial space working with Unimed. Um, I'll give you the short version so I don't bore people. (laughs) This is my third attempt at a, a business of my own. I had a couple of others. One of them lasted 12 years, didn't make a fortune. The other just died to death very quickly. But fantastic experience. But the, the IT side, <laughs> I stumbled into after the oil rigs, after running a fish and chip shop, after trying sales, everything kind of went by the wayside. Had to go get educated, found my niche, absolutely loved it. 
and worked in five, six different um, countries, multiple blue chips, multiple startups. And I had worked for the European Commission in 2004, 2005 with their personnel side, doing web-based applications for them. And quit, left, moved, moved, moved on to some other things. I think I went into telecoms after that. And one of the guys that I had hired on the telecom side, I persuaded him to go work for the, the European Commission. At step forward four or five years, he calls me and goes, hey, would you be interested in, because Udemed 2, which you guys would never see, it's a hidden one for the competent authorities and the, the European Commission. <clears throat> he said, would I be interested in that? So in 2011, I took over their Udemed application. 2012, I get verbally assaulted at a, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. I get verbally assaulted at a, at a large working group uh, meeting where they're all sitting there with the names of their countries and the flags and all that. I had a 20 minute presentation. I got attacked for an hour and a half about the new MDR and IVDR regulations coming up. Luckily, I kind of studied some of this before I went to the meeting. And I bantered with the member states and the competent authorities for an hour and a half. And then at a eureka moment, I thought, if these guys haven't got a clue, the medtech industry is stuffed. So you were asking what makes somebody want or makes somebody end up in this space. Well, to be honest, I was very bored several times, even, even after the Eureka meeting, the Eureka moment, I was bored several times and I tried to get out, but I couldn't get out right down to, um, I was doing my MBA and I was at the leadership week in, in Aberdeen and we'd come up with our projects. So I thought, right, this is a, a great opportunity to put together a, a business plan, a corporate business plan, now, a corporate business plan for a university study is way more in-depth than any other business plan I'd seen before. And I didn't realize it was going to be so much work, but it allowed me to plan for where I am now. So, yeah, I quit the commission in 2019 when I felt I had enough information. Now, to put that in perspective, some of the documents that are still being released now, they were already in 2019. They're just feeding it slowly to the, to the medtech industry. But when I left and I started um, advertising, I just went on LinkedIn, LinkedIn and said, hi, I'm such and such. I used to run Udemed. If anybody has any questions, I get inundated with companies. And they all knew the word Udemed, but they had, God love them, they hadn't a clue what it actually entailed. They thought it was going to be like the FDA system where you upload a device, it's one line on a spreadsheet. When we put together our spreadsheet templates for the MDR side, there's 20 tabs. You can't put it on one line. So I'm three years out my own now. We've got a nice little company. We've seven people working with us. Like you said, we've helped hundreds of companies so far and it hasn't even started yet. Fantastic. So let's actually just take a couple of minutes, um, Richard, and talk a little bit around what Udemed is. You know, there's a lot of people here who's never heard the term before. Uh, a lot of people who listen to us are in the pharmaceutical industry, not necessarily the med tech area, and then obviously in Europe. 
how does it work? You know, why was it developed? You know, tell us a little bit about what it is, the services and tools, et cetera. Okay. Um, when the PIP case broke in 2012, the PIP case was the industrial silicone in the breast implants. And that for some women of a Jesus, it was, a, it was a horrible experience. But when that story broke, I was sitting watching TV. I'd already been looking after Udemed, but I thought this was just another one of the commission applications where, yeah, it's a little thing, not really important. But when they were talking about Udemed and they were saying how poor it was at monitoring the industry, how poor it was at allowing traceability, et cetera, and there was absolutely no transparency, it kind of got my attention. So that's why I made it my business to start reading the, the, the regulations that were being prepared at the time. So if we step forward to 2017, when they actually enacted all these, um, these regulations, the whole basis for Udemed is transparency. Now, there's a little bit in there about, there's a lot in there about control, but transparency is the, the, the biggest key because at the moment, if you were going into hospital and you were going to get some sort of a, a medical procedure, we'll say hip replacement, there's nowhere for you to go and check. What am I getting? Is there something better? Have there been any incidents with it? Did they actually do any tests on this? You've nowhere to go. So the Udemed that we're talking about now, it has six modules to it. It's got an actor's module, which is the registry of all medical device companies worldwide that plan on selling their devices in Europe. We estimated, the commission estimated initially that there was about 50,000. We estimated afterwards with the MedTech Europe that there was over 80,000 companies. So that's, that's the actor's module. That's what name, address, what your role is, manufacturer, importer, authorized rep, et cetera. That's where all that goes. <clears throat> then we have the devices module. They call it the UDI device module. That is where all the manufacturers have to register the devices. Now, there's about, if we look at the biggest part of it, I think there's about 104 data points. Some of those data points will have multiple entries. For example, trade names. If you're selling under 10 different trade names, you have to enter 10 different trade names for that UDIDI. So that's gonna build up, we estimated about 2 million devices. After that, you've got the vigilance module. The, vigil, the vigilance module is going to track every single serious incident to do with the device. So the device data and the actor data, that's the base, that's the base. You've got the vigilance module, which will connect to the device module. All your certificates from the notified bodies, that ties to the device module. Then we're gonna have the clinical investigations and the clinical investigations is absolutely huge. It's a whole ecosystem. A whole, it literally could live on its own. It's a massive, massive beast. But again, when you're entering your devices, you'll have to select your, um, your clinical investigation if it exists in the system. If, you don't if it isn't in the system at the moment, you can still enter your devices now. But eventually, all these things will connect up, and then there'll be the post-market surveillance. The level of statistics that are going to be available to regulators, to private companies, 
for market intelligence for you to go and say, okay, I'm in this space. What are my competitors doing? How many products have they got? What ranges have they got? That's all going to be sitting in Udemy. And it's now, if you can do it, your competitor can do it as well. Um, but it is going to provide huge, huge market intelligence. <clears throat> I think there's huge scope to expand it. But there won't be any expansions on anything like this for 10 to 15 years. The commission, and again, this is just based on what I've seen so far. They seem to work in roughly a 20-year life cycle on these, these software products, where it might take six to 10 years to get the legislation through. Then so Richard, just so we understand as well too. So Udemed is is this a vision? Is it is it a vision to do all of these modules or is it existing today? And, oh no. And who who is running the software? What company? How is it being mandated in commission? Who's paying for it? Like what is some of the background? Like, it sounds okay. to me like this is very much of a vision, but it's not no, really there yet. No, it's it's there. It's there. Not all the modules are live. Okay. But all the modules are in production. In production, you've got actors, certificates, and devices. So manufacturers can and should get their data in now while there's no real pressure. Okay. The vigilance, clinical investigations, and market surveillance, they already have those on their testing area, the playground, they call it. And all those are already sitting on the playground. They're not completed. They don't expect them to be completed. I'm just going to double check the date. They don't expect to complete the minimum minimum viable product until Q4 2023. And when the commission give you a quarter, they mean the last working day. They never go for the beginning. It is always the very last working day so they can squeeze everything into it. Now, who's doing it? This is the this is a, a bit that is open to um, a lot of discussion. The commission themselves are doing it. Any of these commission projects, there's always a commission official at the top. And they oversee the whole project, whether they are, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> excuse me, whether they are fantastically competent at doing it or otherwise, there is always a commission official at top. Everything else then is private um, contractors that come in. So everything is being done and paid for within the commission. And it's the European taxpayers' money that's paying for it. Um, by the time I left, there was we had a team of about 23 people on the IT side, multifunctional from developers, testers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's about 23 people that were involved in the, the creation of it. They seem to have gone through quite a few project managers since I left. And now they've got multiple managers. So they seem to have built quite a quite a top heavy hierarchy of uh, management. And because of COVID and everything, then the developers, they're all working from their, from their homes. So it's, um, yeah, it's so a recipe for a disaster so Richard, in one, one of my questions has to do with um, who, how is this fundamentally, what is the value proposition of this? So for example, taxpayers' money, is there somebody who's just going to come in and saying this is a waste of our money and we're just going to completely kibosh? What is the value proposition for taxpayers for a fundamental continuance and sustainment of this Udemed and the growth of it and the, the idea of all med tech devices being in here? So what's, what is the value proposition and the, the value statement? There's a, there's a few of them. From the patient's point of view, it's full transparency. 
you'll be able to look up your device. You'll be able to find out details on it. Most of the data that you're going to look at, you won't have a clue about, but you'll be able to connect to the company, find out exactly who manufactured it. At the moment, companies hide behind other companies and takeovers, mergers, et cetera. Sometimes if there's an issue with the device, it is very, very difficult to find the ultimate owner. There was one US lawyer who spoke about it. And he said, when it comes to lawsuits in the future, he said, all he will have to do to put together the majority of his dossier is go into Udemed and download all of the data surrounding the particular device. So with, with all of that said in mind, Richard, it, it is, would a typical medical device try to delay a submission or the entry of their data? Wait, is it, is it going to be a game of waiting <clears throat> to see which competitor puts it in first? Because technically, just hearing that no, note, is it putting a bullet in your own foot by, by allowing that information to be out there if you are not no, being no. mandated to do it? Um, at the moment, it's voluntary. But by the time Udemed is fully functional, that means all modules are working and in production. But by that time, there's a short transition period where you have to put your data in. If you miss that transition period, you are not allowed to sell your products in Europe. It's as simple as that. This is a legally binding thing and you have to put your data in. I don't think getting your data in earlier or later will give you any advantage over another manufacturer because at the moment it is virtually impossible to get that market intelligence information that you need. Got it. So tell me a little bit, Richard, about your company, Airmed. What exactly are you doing and how are you, how has your business model um, revolving around your uh, Udemed and what are you doing with that whole area? Um, we're doing absolutely everything to do with Udemed. When I left, when I left the commission and started talking to companies, when I realized that they didn't have a clue, despite what the commission believed, then we had to put training in place. I'm not a trainer, never wanted to be a trainer, but yet we've ended up building up the training site. Uh, we had a meeting within the commission in January 2019 regarding what level of support companies are going to be given. And at that point, there was only going to be a couple of people behind a functional mailbox. And if the developers had time, they might fix a bug, which, which absolutely appalled me coming from the IT industry. But I thought, okay, two people and the, level, and the way the commission answer questions, they're not going to be able to support companies. So we started providing, heavily providing support. My original plan, which we have actually implemented, was actually to create software to help companies. So we have two different types of software, one beast that installs on your own servers and another SaaS version. Um, one of them can be managed from spreadsheet templates that they all upload and we do the XML and all that. But what we found with the, with, with the SaaS one is an awful lot of companies, geez, they just didn't want to touch Udemy. They had no problem putting the data into the templates. So we ended up having to create a make it go away service. So they email us the spreadsheets we do everything else. If there's errors, we get them to fix them. And then we'll submit the data to Udemed, et cetera. Our whole raison d'etre is to make life easier on you. Because the med tech industry are never going to, um, they're never going to make money out of this. This is always going to be an expense. And one of the things you mentioned at the very beginning about disruptors, that's the space that I see us in for this, because there was existing companies doing the uploads to um, 
to the FDA, etc. But my God, they charge some amount of money. And there's going to be over 80,000 companies in this. So there's, there's a lot, there is a lot of money to be made in there, but not at the expense of taking advantage of companies. So what we've come in and done is we've kept the costs down. We, we built correct software. We make it a lot easier for people. But it's everything around you about anything, anything people have an issue with, we can help them with. Got it. Right. You mentioned something really interesting, Richard, and you're saying that once this, all the modules become fully functioning, this is sort of a requirement of all European med tech companies in order to be able to sell and promote your product. What is this going to look like eventually from a competitive standpoint? And where do you see EarMed playing in that space where all the data is available, either for lawyers or for competitive companies to be able to use? What would that look like? And where does EarMed see itself playing in that in the future? Um, EarMed and, and actually, if anybody is looking for us, just go to udamed.com because that's where we're sitting. Um, I can see us expanding into other markets because the level of data that Udamed is looking for, most of the other markets are just a subset of it. Initially within the commission, when we first started looking at this, we had um, a couple of analysts sit down with the FDA system and their HL7 and try and break out the common fields so we could try and keep them as closely, closely aligned as possible. But Udamed was looking for so much more data. We, they, just could, they just couldn't do it. They spent a few weeks on it and it just wasn't a possibility. But coming from the Udamed data and going backwards, we'll be able to output data for the FDA, South Korea, China, et cetera, because these are all subsets. And there are a few countries out there as well that are looking for the CE mark as their minimum to get into their countries. And they're effectively adopting the European regulations. So if you want to get into, we'll say, I think it's um, Saudi, Singapore, there's, there's some others as well, and I'm open to correction, they want the CE mark as a minimum. So they want to see your product in Udemed before they ever let you in. Even if you're not selling your product in Europe, there's an option in there that you can take when you're going in that this is not for the European market, but it'll still be visually available. With the overall market and the competitive analysis intelligence afterwards, um, the commission have paid a lot of lip service to open data sets, which means They'll just put together all the data, they'll dump it out, and you can do what you want with it. The problem is they've no budget for this. They'll still talk about it. And I contacted them about four or five weeks ago just to clarify that I was right on this point. They have no plans to release open data sets at the moment. So in a lot of cases, it's going to be down to companies like ours to try and figure out some other way to get the data so we can do the competitive analysis. Um, it's actually there is one thing that's um, fits perfectly in with, with, with the question we also need to know where companies are and where they're going with their Udemed plans because Udemed is not a one-off upload it's not just going to be bang it's done we can walk away now there is going to be changes there is going to be requirements for multiple versions so we've actually got together with KPMG and next week we're launching a a survey just to get a good overview of 
where companies are, where they plan on going. And yeah, that's going to, that information would be very useful, not only to, to ourselves, but to, to our competitors probably. Richard, what, where does Udemed and where does Earmed fit in when it comes to software as a medical device? Are they still going to be required to submit in, in uh, like to create a, a Udemed submission? Yes, absolutely. Um, for for AirMed, it's just another UDIDI. It, what, what the actual device does, what the software does, what the physical device does, we don't care. For us, it's just data. Um, and that's, that's all that AirMed is involved in. But for Udemed, the software as a medical device, anything that impacts on a patient and fits in a risk class has to be put in Udemed. And, you know, obviously this is a huge endeavor for Europe, for the protection of patients, and obviously yeah, for yeah. just an open source around databases, everything from population health management to clinical studies to real world evidence. How do you think this is the same or different in other countries outside of Europe, like United States, Canada, elsewhere? What, what, where do you see this evolving for them in terms of their regulatory environments? Um, yeah, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's as much using a crystal ball as anything else. The FDA, etc., they've constantly been having meetings with the commission, and they're constantly being kept up to date on the regulations. All these, all these people talk to each other quite a lot. Once the statistics start coming out of Udemed, and now we're talking maybe five, ten years time before a real good feel is there. I believe that the FDA, the Canadians, the Chinese, they could actually look at this and go, oh, that's a basis for something that we could use. So they could change their systems and maybe incorporate, not necessarily talk to each other because Jesus, they've been trying to do that for years and and it never manages. But they'll take some of the concepts, take some of the ideas and maybe expand what what they're requiring from medical device companies up until the regulations, the MDR and the IVDR applied, it was easier to come through Europe for the medical device companies, the startups, get everything um, certified, et cetera. Now it's becoming more difficult. Now they're going back to the United States. And I spoke to one gentleman from Florida who helps these companies. And he said for the last 15, 20 years, he's been getting US companies set up in Europe and helping them prepare for um, product release and all the certifications but he said now he's helping them all go back and he's helping all the new startups go back and he reckoned it was just a cycle that in next time the FDA get a little bit uppity with their regulations everybody will go somewhere else to start with. So interesting I mean just as a final comment here is that I do find it interesting in this digital transformation for regulators etc in the healthcare space one would assume that it would make things easier, but in some ways it's also making it more difficult. Um, and, and a big piece of this has to do with interoperability and the, or the lack thereof. And more importantly is questions around privacy and utilization and whatever. So I'm sure it's going to be uh, an endeavor for EarMed for many, many years to come. Um, for those people who are interested um, you know, in speaking with Richard and finding out more about what's going on if you're a med tech company or you're interested in collaborating or working or understanding more, Please look for his details in the show notes uh, below. Um, He's available for discussion. 
Uh, anybody who's interested in, in this discussion, please also check out impetusdigital.com. We have these kinds of discussions with physicians, payers, allied healthcare providers, and patients working with sponsoring companies, helping them develop clinical protocols, de determining what their submission should look like, how they should be working strategically for their brands. We do this asynchronously and synchronously over a series of touch points over time to help solve some of our manufacturers' issues. So please check out impetusdigital.com. We'd really love if you can like and subscribe to our channel and please leave some feedback on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you everybody for your time and really appreciate a really phenomenal conversation, Richard. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business -business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more and visit us on our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.